your provision, Lord. You've been nothing but faithful. You've taken care of us. You've cherished us. You've loved us. You've nourished us, Lord, and this morning is no different. Thank you for how you care about us so deeply, so wonderfully. And as we open your word this morning, I pray, Lord, I ask, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. I pray you would calm any fears this morning. That my brothers and sisters would be encouraged and challenged and built up and strengthened. And it can't happen apart from you. So, Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. Have your way in us and through us and amongst us. We ask for your glory. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So, hey, 2 Corinthians, uh, just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is defending himself to a group of people that he should not have had to be defending himself to. Does that make sense? He shouldn't have had to give a defense. He had planted this church. He pastored this church. His life, his ministry, his apostleship, everything was evident to them by the way that he lived his life, by the way that he loved them, by the, his, his sacrificial life was on display for the people of Corinth. And yet there was a small group within the church that were talking trash about Paul. And they were super, a lot of it was superficial things about appearance, the way he talked, the way he looked. And Paul is, you know, it's interesting. As Paul defends himself, we learn. I, I, lo I love that Paul defended himself. He didn't have to. But I love that he, as he does this, we learn so much about God. And this morning is no different. In fact, some of you know this chapter. Some of the most uh, incredible themes or incredible uh, teachings, doctrines are found in these next probably 10 or 11 verses. So let's check it out. God's word says, verse 12, Paul writes, "For I'm going to read down through the whole chapter just to get the flow. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. But give you opportunity to do what? To boast on our behalf. That you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus... That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself how through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them 
and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you or beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? Is that like amenable stuff right there? I mean, that's amazing. So Paul begins this section. Remember, again, he's giving a defense. And look at verse 12 with me. He says, we don't need to present ourselves for approval again or acceptance again. We are not trying to make our case or, or boast in what we've done. You guys know us. And Paul is including his team as well as himself here. Correct? That's what the us and the we are all about. But predominantly, Paul's talking about himself. Paul reminds them, you know my heart. You know what I was all about. I don't need to, we don't need to uh, give you an, uh, a, a commendation letter. But we're giving you the opportunity to step up and endorse us as a response to those who are bragging about appearance. And the problem is what? They de-emphasize what really matters. They, they boast in appearance, but not in heart. And the heart of the issue is always the issue of the Listen, the Corinthians should have had Paul's back. They should have had, when they started talking trash about Paul, the Apostle Paul, they knew his character, they knew his life, his witness. They should have been, wait, whoa, time out. You need to shut your mouth right now. That's slander, that's gossip, right? The Bible tells us in Proverbs, where there's no wood, the fire goes out, right? It's talking about those that gossip or slander. They should have shut that down immediately. But Paul's like, listen, we're giving you an opportunity here to boast. And I would say, as a simple application, though, we don't want to be those who overemphasize appearances to the neglecting of the heart. Our hearts are absolutely crucial, gang. And this whole section that we're going to look at is speaking about our hearts before the Lord. Look at, in fact, look at verse 13. Paul says, if we are besides ourselves, what does that mean to be besides yourself? Anybody know what that means? It means to be out of your mind, literally. To be nuts, to be crazy, like roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a schizophrenic, and so am I. <laughs> Guess what I'm talking about? That's, that's what we're talking about here, someone that's nuts. And, and, and probably, probably there was a bunch of, a bunch of the, that group in Corinth, the haters, if you will, that were saying, Paul is nuts. This guy's crazy. And Paul's like, if that's the case, then guess what? We're crazy for Jesus. We're crazy for God. Anybody ever been, had that said about them? You're a Jesus freak. You're, you're too on, anybody ever have somebody say you're too on fire for the Lord? I've had someone say that to me before. You need to cool off, dude. And you know what I said? Time out. Let's go read Revelation 3. Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold. Cold, you're a flatliner. You're dead. Lukewarm makes Jesus puke. I don't know exactly what that means, but I, vomit's pretty gross, isn't it? So I'm going to stay hot for Jesus. Because why? Because it's the love of Christ that compels me. It's His love 
That's what Paul says here. And, and notice what else he says, though, before that, before we, gets to, before we get to verse 14. He says, listen, if we're of a sound mind, if we're in our right mind, it's to bless you. It's for you to help you to be, he said earlier, a helper of your joy. And so how can a person live like Paul so self-sacrificially? What drove him? What motivated him? How could he continue to serve and be faithful in ministry with all of the difficulties, all of the hardships? We'll learn more about that next week um, as, we, as, we, as we break down chapter 6. But how could he continue in the midst of people talking trash going viral on him in a bad way? How could he continue on to serve the Lord? I would say, how can we continue on? Not losing heart? Well, look at the next verse with me. This is key. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't say, my love for Jesus is what compels me or drives me, but it's his love for me that constrains me, that literally holds me together and drives me on and urges me on. It's his love for me that presses me on all sides, keeps me together, and propels me going forward. How much does Jesus love you? We sing that song, don't we? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was the Apostle John. Remember what the Apostle John, how he identified himself in his gospel? He's the Apostle that Jesus loved In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself a propitiation for our sins. And so at the root, at the core, listen, it always comes back to the cross. By this we know, love, that Jesus gave his life for us. Greater greater love has no man than this, than to what? Lay down his life for his for his friends. Listen, the whys of our lives are always answered at Calvary. Why do I do what I do? Why do I serve? Why do I spend time going through the things that I go through? It's because of the love of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did for me and what he did for you, what he did for us on the cross. Let me ask you a question this morning. What compels you? What compels you this morning? What, what, gets, what do you get up for each and every morning? What do you get excited about each day? Is it the love of Christ that drives you? Paul says here, one thing drives me. It's so important to me. It's the love that Jesus has for me. It's the love of the Lord, what he's done for me. It pushes me on to be as faithful as possible to do what he's called me to do in serving him. Look at verse 14 second half, he says, because we judge thus. In other words, we've come to this conclusion. Jesus died for everyone. Then all died. What does that mean? Jesus died for everyone. Then all died. What's he talking about here? Well, remember, Paul uses this imagery, doesn't he, throughout the New Testament of death and resurrection. And so what's he talking about? Paul's saying, in a sense, I'm already resurrected. The old me is dead. In fact, when we baptize someone, that's what it's symbolic of. Water baptism, right? What do we do? We dunk that person under the water. Some of you a little longer than others. No, just kidding. We don't do that. In case you're freaked, don't walk in fear, right? I'm not going to do that to you. We won't do that to you. 
Listen, the old you is buried with Christ. That's what it's symbolic of. And then when we lift you up, you are raised again in the newness of life. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Paul put it this way in Galatians. You guys know this famous verse. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, you got to picture the imagery. Paul's like, I am crucified with Christ. The old me's dead. I'm no longer living life like I once lived after the flesh, doing my own thing, living a supremely self-centered life. It is the Lord now who lives in me. I've died. That old me is dead. And look at verse 15. Paul says, Jesus died for everybody so that since we've been made alive, have we been made alive, by the way? That's what happens when you're born again. You come alive. We were born dead in our trespasses. We've been made alive spiritually, Ephesians 2, right? It's Jesus who makes us alive spiritually. Now that we're alive, those who live should what? Look what it says. We shouldn't live supremely selfish lives anymore. We should live no longer for ourselves. You know what that means? That means put the brake on selfishness. And what? We should live for him who died and rose again. Who's that? Who should we be living for? Not a trick question. We should be living for him, full on for Jesus, who gave his life for us, instead of us, on behalf of us. He took our place, and then he rose again from the dead. And if that's what he did for you, then you do what you do for him. Are you with me? This is like so important right here. This is, by the way, this is real discipleship. This is what, the, this is the, one of the clearest, strongest descriptions of biblical Christianity there is, right here in this text, what it means to be a Christian. And it's something that you rarely hear taught from pulpits today. Is, is Luke, Jesus said it, Luke 9, 23, if we want to follow him, we need to take up our cross how often? Every day. Deny ourselves. Deny that selfishness. Death to our selfishness. Take up our cross. What's left after that? To follow Jesus, the best part of it all. That's where we experience life. That's where we experience resurrection life, is dying to ourselves. Listen, it's not something we hear much from pulpits today. Why? Because we're told, right, about the end times. Paul told Timothy... What's going to happen? He told Timothy, you preach the word, buckaroo. Everything you do is in front of Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead. You, pre- you be faithful to preach the word because the time is coming. And guess what? The time is now when people will not endure sound doctrine. What will they do? Heap up teachers to what? To scratch their itches, tickle their ears, tickle their funny bone, tell a bunch of stories with a little Bible dust sprinkled in. To make it sound legit. And it's not legit. And the problem is too. Paul warned Timothy. That perilous times would come. The last days are perilous times. You know what the first thing he mentioned was? Men will be lovers of themselves. Wow. 
That's the problem. We love ourselves, don't we? Not a lot of amens. Okay. If we took a big team picture of the whole church today and put it up on whatever, social media, Facebook, IG, Instagram, IG, is that what they call it? Yeah. Website, whatever you, whatever you do, Twitter. Who would you look for in the picture? Thank you. And what would you say after you see yourself? My hair, oh, I look terrible. <laughs> Why? Because guess what? It's all about you, buckaroo. I do the same thing. Our problem is our flesh, our selfishness. And we recognize that we need to put that old man to death. And there's, a, there's the teaching today. You can believe the gospel and still live a worldly life. You can, you can believe the gospel and still live a carnal, fleshly life, life after the flesh. And guess what? That is not true. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not biblical discipleship. And listen, if we are living self-centered lives, then we are not being compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. We're not being motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's no way to be selfish and at the same time to claim that I am motivated by the love of Jesus in my life. It's, they're incompatible. And notice what it says in that verse. It says in verse 15, we are to live for him. Those two words, for him. For Jesus, not what we look like before others. Again, remember that first verse we looked at. There's a whole bunch of people that are, that are caught up in appearances, right? Didn't Jesus, who did Jesus have his heaviest words for in the Gospels? The Pharisees. Why? Because everything they did, it was all about the appearance, wasn't it? To be seen by men, outwardly looking, you're whitewashed, but inside you got dead man's bones, right? Everything they did was to be seen by men, they and also it says they pretended to be righteous. Isn't that interesting? They pretended to be righteous. Jesus said they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Why? Because everything was to be seen. It was all about the appearance, looking good before others and not the heart. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. And I'm confessing this morning, I still have a little Pharisee living in me. I think we all do. And that Pharisee that's living in me and living in you must be put to death every single day in order for Christ's resurrection life to be seen in us. Amen? Amen. Next verse, verse 16. Therefore, in light of what Jesus has done for us, from now on, what's the logical result? What's the logical conclusion we must come to? We regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't judge upon the basis of human standards. In other words, Paul's saying, right now, when I look at others, I don't look at their flesh. I don't look at who they are apart from Christ. I look at who they are in Christ. My brother or sister in the Lord, I want to connect with them on a deeper level. In fact, he goes, even though we are acquainted we have known, we, have, we were acquainted with Jesus in his humanity, his humanness, yet now 
Yet now we know no longer. Yet now we're not acquainted with him that way anymore. Um, in other words, Paul's saying, I, I was once wrong. I once thought Jesus of Jesus predominantly only as a human being. I made a mistake. He is 100% man, 100% God. And remember how people got caught up in the appearances about Jesus? Weren't they tripped out? They regarded Jesus according to the flesh. It's possible Paul was even there as a Pharisee of Pharisees. It was possible Paul was there seeing Jesus. And what, what did they say about him? They were tripped up by Jesus' appearance, weren't they? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Where did he get this from? In fact, it says in Isaiah 53, there was nothing beautiful that would attract us to him. Oh, in John chapter 7, it's, it's interesting. Even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. What? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? And Mary saying, why can't you be more like your older brother? <laughs> Does nothing wrong. They were tripped up. People were tripped up. Where did you get this authority from? How can you say these things? It's interesting. In John chapter 7, they even said about Jesus, how does this man know all this stuff? He didn't learn letter. He didn't go to our Bible colleges. He didn't study our seminaries. Where did he get all this stuff? And Jesus said, don't judge according to appearances, but what? But judge with righteous judgment. Because what do we tend to do? We judge on externals, appearances. In fact, the big deal was this guy's a Galilean. He's a hillbilly. That's, by the way, if, when people were from the Galilee, they were considered hillbillies. Galilean. Think about, think about as, you, as you work your way through the Gospels, we're doing that on Sunday nights. They were tripped up by Jesus' appearance, his background. It's from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Think about all the things that tripped up people concerning Jesus. Now Paul says, we're not evaluating our brothers and sisters based upon their appearance, based upon their education, finances, what they seem to be like on the outside. Why? We're not evaluating them according to the flesh. Why? Because God has done something in their lives. What has he done? Next verse. This is a great verse. You guys know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you know you're a brand new person this morning? There's been a change. You got a fresh start. As, by the way, as believers, that's every one of us. A new creation. Listen, we don't make distinctions in the body of Christ. Correct? There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. It's equal ground at the foot of the cross. Are you with me? And so, with that, what you wear, what you drive, what kind of house you got, what's your background... Listen, none of that matters. None of it. Why? Because we are brand new. All of the worldly ways of evaluating and seeing life are gone. How we, ju- how we once judged one another, how we once looked at one another, man, we are brand new. There's been a metamorphosis. 
Can you guys think of a critter that goes through metamorphosis? I saw the coolest one, a butterfly, that's right. They're so beautiful, aren't they? I saw one yesterday. I couldn't believe he survived. He was coming out. I, I was driving, and I wasn't speeding. I was going the speed limit. <laughs> because if I wasn't, he would have been taken out. But he comes flying at the window, and then he goes cruising up. I'm going, wow, guys, did you see that butterfly? That was amazing. Aren't they beautiful? How do they start out? Vile, disgusting, little fuzzy, greasy... <laughs> caterpillars and that's what the Lord does in us he transforms us that word is metamorphosis it's an internal change that is now it now is manifest itself externally it's not you don't you don't teach that fuzzy thing to fly do you you don't strap some wings on him and throw him in the air and say you can do this just positive thinking right just think positive. Don't make any negative confessions. You can do it, little buddy. You don't do that, do you? No, it ha- has to happen internally. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. I don't need to get up here in the pulpit every week and yell at you, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. No, it's the Word of God. It's, it's, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. I just get to, I'm just an idiot who shares the Word, shares the seed with you guys the best I can by the grace of God. And the transformation happens in your heart and in my heart. And it's beautiful seeing the changes in your lives. We're new creations. Listen, God did not, listen, this is so important. God did not take your old nature and reconstruct it. You're brand new. You're a new creation. He didn't just make some tweaks and improvements on your flesh. He didn't soup up your flesh. Is that still a word, soup up? Like a, you can soup up your car, right? Get it all. Is that still a word? Yeah. He doesn't soup up our flesh. You are a brand new creation. There's a brand new life that is birthed within you and I. That's glorious. And that life needs needs time to grow. It needs to be fed and nourished. Helped to walk. What becomes new? What becomes new, guys? What did it say in that verse? How many things become new? All things. What are, what are some of the all things? How about this? New life, new desires, new strength, new resources, new family, new standing before God, new promises, new eternal destiny, new future, new hope. I, you can just start filling in the blanks for yourself. Start thinking about some new stuff. All things have become new. What's old is history. The way we once lived how we made decisions, certain habits, certain practices, buried. It's passed away. Behold, he says, check it out. Everything has become new. That's beautiful. Fresh in development, literally, is one translation. I like that. Can I encourage us? Some of us are still, there's stuff you should have let go from, our past, from your past. Can you, let, can you let it go? Stuff maybe you're holding on to. 86, 86 till the word too. I don't even know. I'm making up words. Use an old word. Get rid of it. And walk in the newness of life. Walk in the newness of life. Paul communicates that, reminds the church of that. Now, verse 18. I like this because he reminds us. Is it, is it us who makes the changes? Is it, is it us fixing ourselves? Strapping, pulling up ourselves by our bootstraps and getting her done? Program? 
Just a program. Can you Google this and do a program to make yourself new? Go take a class. Is that how you make yourself new? This is such a great, great reminder. Look what it says. Now all things are of, of who? Of God. You didn't change yourself. You didn't make yourself new. It was God who did it. Can, can we praise him for that? Like, thank you, Lord. I don't have to fix myself. By the way, the Lord's fixing that person next to you. Because what do we typically like to do? I'm gonna, I am going to fix my spouse. I'm going to confess all her sins to her. <laughs> right, right, you guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You know, the Holy Spirit does a way better job. Makes all things new. Furthermore, it wasn't us who, bought our, who brought ourselves into a right relationship with God. But it was God. Look what it says. Now all things are of God. Who has what? What has God done? Look what it says. Who has reconciled us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? We didn't reconcile ourselves to God. We didn't make ourselves right with God. It was his plan before the foundation of the world. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and their eternal counsels. The Son willing to come and lay down his life for you and for me. To fix which, that which is broken. And that's every one of us. We're broken. In need of fixing. And it's, please don't miss this. It's God who initiated the process. We are simply the responders to who he is and what he has done. God made peace possible between himself and us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to give his life for us. By the way, what does reconcile mean? What is reckon? Are we in need of reconciliation with God? We sure are. Reconcile means there are two things that have been completely separated and now they are brought together. Again, you ever have a fight with someone? You guys, spouses ever have like a little argument or something? No? Is it right? There needs to be reconciliation. Not confessing the, your spouse's sins to them, but what? I was wrong, toughest three words for us to say I was wrong. Please forgive me. Whether they initiated, it was your response or your attitude, right? Are you with me? We all, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We need to be reconciled to God, guys. And how does it happen when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ? It says, through Jesus Christ, our lives have been going in the wrong direction. We were far from God, enemies of God. The Bible says we were enemies his enemies, whether we knew it or not, going our own way, living, again, completely self-consumed, self-absorbed lives, doing whatever we want to ourselves or to whomever. And yet, what did God do? What did God do, you guys? He continued to pursue us with his love, to come after us, to rescue us. Listen, his heart is always, always reconciliation. Why? He's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. And it's Jesus who is the mediator. He's the one that brings peace. He is the only way to be reconciled to God. He connects us to God, and not only that, guess what this morning? He connects us to one another. And notice what else. Isn't this beautiful, what he's given us? Do you know you have a ministry this morning? I don't have a ministry. I've been, you know, I've been trying for years, and you have a ministry. What is it? What is my what is my ministry? I've always wanted to know what my ministry is. It's right here. It says, and what has God done? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Paul gives further explanation. That is, that God was in Christ. Doing what? Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us what? What's he committed to us? The word of reconciliation. Since, we, since we've been reconciled to God, guess what? Since we've been made new, he's given us this special ministry, this special service for him. God reconciles us to himself and then says, what does he say to you and me? I want you to go and help people get reconciled to me. I would say reconciled people help people get reconciled this morning. And what do we do it with? We do it with the beautiful, life-changing message of the gospel. What's God's desire? His desire is to declare to all people that he doesn't hold their trespasses against them if they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his son. That's good news, isn't it? We got some good news. There's not a whole lot of good news out there. How many people are dealing with shame? How many people are dealing with guilt? Haunted by your past. You've done things that make you feel like you're a failure. Or or you feel like you're damaged goods. Listen, the heart of God is not to hold those things against you. He makes you new. He gives you a fresh start. All those old things of what? What does it say? passed away he not only makes us new makes us a new creation gives us a fresh start but God declares your sins and your lawless deeds I will hold against you no more they're gone gone that should make us happy because why because David declared didn't he in Psalm 32 blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven oh how happy is the man whose sin his trespasses have been forgiven blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity does that make you oh how happy because that's what he's saying here God was in Christ that's a that's another Bible study in itself isn't it God was manifested in the flesh In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The amazing mystery of the incarnation. God was in Christ doing what? Look at verse 19. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. What's a trespass? What's a trespass? 
That is a willful sin. God draws the line in the sand, and you say, I don't care what God says, I'm going to cross that line. We know, like when we're little, or we have kids, and it says, wet paint, do not touch. What do they do? Or don't eat the cake, okay? That cake is being saved for dad when he gets home from work. And so they notch off, you know, a little bit. That's a trespass. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? Everybody know what I'm talking about here? We've all trespassed. And those trespasses are not imputed to us any longer. Impute is an accounting term. They're no longer on our record. Your record has been expunged. It's been, it's gone. That sin debt that you and I have built up in heaven, it is forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Is that good news this morning? It's good news. That's part of the ministry of reconciliation. God is no longer counting our sins against us, but they're blotted out. Why? Because we're so good? Because we're so righteous? No, because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for us, and we've placed our faith and trust in him. Listen, reconciliation not only speaks of us getting reconnected to God, but it also speaks of an exchange. We give him all of our sins, trespasses, all of our junk, and what does he give us? What did, that la- what did that last verse say? He gives us what? God's righteousness. That, that is beautiful. Because this word reconcile also means an exchange. There's an ama- well, we're gonna get, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Because look, he's committed to us. He's given us the sacred trust, the redemption story now in us. We've experienced it firsthand. Have you experienced this redemption, this reconciliation firsthand? Are you a new creation this morning? You got some credentials. What do you mean, credentials? Look at the next verse. He calls us what? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his diplomats, his representatives, his emissaries, representing him. Wow. Heavy. Why are we his ambassadors? Well, we're representing a foreign country, aren't we? We're representing heaven. Notice Paul says, God is personally, intimately urging you through us. We're, we're Christ's ambassadors, and it's as if God is pleading, urging through us. And he says, we are begging you, we are imploring you in his name, in the name of Jesus, to be reconciled to God, he says to the church. In other words, get right with God at once. Get right with him. Can I ask you guys a question this morning? When was the last time you begged someone on Christ's behalf? When was the last time you did your job as an ambassador? How far will you go as his ambassador to reach people? Would you risk embarrassing yourself for Jesus as his ambassador? Listen, where does he want you to go? Maybe this week he's calling you somewhere as his ambassador. Who does he want to reconcile by him using your life to plead, to urge, to beg? Who does... Isn't that what it says here, you guys? 
I'm not like making this stuff up. That's why we hand out Bibles. So you can look and see. But you know, there's something heavy here. Because he's saying to the church, you be reconciled to God. Why is he saying that to the church? Guess what? You guys remember what was going on in the church at Corinth? Fractured fellowship, divisions, selfishness, petty little selfish fights going on. And guess what? When there's an issue this way, horizontally, guess where the issue really is? It's vertically. That reconciliation needs to happen this way. Things aren't right in your heart with the Lord. Because God wants us not only to be reconciled to Him, but guess what? Reconcile with one another. Our ministry, listen this morning, our ministry is all about putting things together that have been separated by sin. Putting things together that have been separated by sin. And that includes our fellowship with one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Not blessed are those who can stay dug in in the fight, who win the argument. Blessed are the peacemakers. And here's the deal. Listen, if you have someone that you can't be reconciled with because you're mad at them or angry with them, what hope is there to minister to others about about reconciliation if I can't do it myself? If I can't get that right in my own life, how can I go and be a minister of reconciliation if I can't be reconciled with my brothers and sisters or my spouse or my kids or my parents or whatever, on whatever level it is? Are you still, are you still with me this morning? This is crucial. Because the church, I, you know, we, we have such petty little issues. Not here. I hear about other churches. Someone sat in my seat. I sit, I've been sitting there for 20 years, and now this, I can't say bozo, because this person, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are laughing. I mean, we, dumb stuff that causes friction, that causes division, that, break, that breaks apart, separates that which should be connected together. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. As much as depends upon you, live at peace with all men. That's the heart. Reconciliation is the heart of God. Is there someone you need to be reconciled with today? If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, I'm not saying he is. I'm not a, time, I'm not a date setter, time setter. Don't quote me. But if you knew he was coming tomorrow, are there some phone calls you need to make? Are there some people you need to visit with? to get things right with them, things you need to do, reconciliation that needs to be made with someone. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. In fact, he's going to say that in the next chapter. Don't put it off right now. Today is the day to get right. We got one more verse and we got one more minute. Hallelujah. Because this is, this is so amazing, this verse. Look what he says. For he made him who knew no sin. For he, who's this speaking of? The Father made him, who's that? The Son, Jesus. The Father made the Son who knew no sin. Please take note of that. Jesus was sinless. 
There is a huge, there's a huge segment, a huge percentage of the quote unquote evangelical church born again believers that don't know that Jesus was sinless. And you know why? Because they don't study the Bible. He who knew no sin, Jesus was the pure, spotless Lamb of God. He never sinned at all. This is crucial. He was made to be sin for us. Isaiah 53. He was wounded for who? For his transgressions? No, for our transgressions. Our iniquity was laid upon him. The sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, he absorbed the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He died in our place instead of us. Why? Look what it says, verse 21. That we might become the very righteousness of God himself. That's amazing. We give him all of our trash, all of our junk, all of our sin, all of our badness. And what does he give us? All of his goodness. Wow. That's amazing. Notice that it says the last two words of the chapter that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's not by our efforts. It's not by church attendance or membership. It's not by your baptism, although baptism is important. It's not by your confirmation. It's not by what you paid, what you give, or what you do. We receive His righteousness as a free gift when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Do I have time? I do have... I don't have time. That's okay. We'll get to it next week. I'll read that verse next week for us. Lord, thank you so much. What else can we say this morning? But thank you. Thank you for giving your life for each one of us. Lord, forgive us as we can be so selfish. So self-absorbed. Pray you'd work in our hearts this morning. that you, Lord Jesus, would be seen in and through our lives. We'd experience that abundant life, that resurrected life as we step out to serve you, as we step out as your ambassadors to plead with those that are in need of reconciliation. Forgive us, Lord, so often we keep our mouth shut. And I pray that we would be those led by the Spirit, especially.